I greet you again in Jesus' name tonight. Trust that as we've gathered here that the Lord will bless us as we look into his word together. This evening I've chosen to speak on the subject of youth experiencing Holy Spirit guidance. And as we think about youth, it's a time of much opportunity. And yet there's a lot of decisions that need to be made and a lot of things pulling within and the inexperience factor. And there's a lot of things that come to play with youth. Thinking about uh, the Bible, it's got a lot of stories about people and even some young people that stood in opposition to those that were around about them, but were obedient to God's will for them. And often it was fairly ordinary circumstances, uh, standing when everyone else knelt for an image of gold, or Joseph avoiding the advances of a familiar and attractive woman. Or um, another case is that of Daniel and him not experiencing the defilement of unclean food. And so let's turn to Daniel chapter 1, and I would like to look, take some thoughts from this story here tonight. Um, when we read about Daniel, we, I don't know exactly how old he was, but I trust, I'm certain he was fairly young, uh, maybe in his teens or early 20s, we're not real certain. But he seems to be a man that was at peace with the circumstances that were around about him. But as we read between the lines of the story, I think we'd have a lot of reason to think otherwise. And let's look at the first four verses here of Daniel chapter 1. Um, and it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the house of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans." first thing we want to notice here is Daniel's tough situation. Um, you know, we've never had an experience like that. Um, when I was a boy, the Russians were the ones we feared, and they kind of went into the background, but now the Russians are in the focus again. But when I was a boy and went to public high school, we had bomb drills, and it was a three-story building, and we went down into the lower level and stood lined along the halls and put our faces to the wall and cupped our hands over our faces. We were instructed to do so. And we had these um, drills there in case there would be, we would be bombed by the Russians during the middle of the Cold War back in the early 70s. But think about the situation here when Jerusalem fell into the hand of these invaders. Um, Think what it would be like if the Russian tanks come up your street and they um, took over and went into the king's palace and president's palace and took a bunch of valuable things and came down here to Harrisonburg and said, I want you and you and you, y'all come with me. And they, it's about 600 miles back to Babylon. And I doubt they had 
I know they didn't have buses. Likely they were on foot, walking, and maybe chained together, hand to hand. And so imagine that Jerusalem falling into the hand of these Babylonians and the turmoil and the cries of fear of these as these invaders came into the city. Life as David knew it was gone, and things changed for him. And, you know, we don't have that part of the story, how he was caught and all of that. But we ha- put yourself in Daniel's place as the invaders came in, and he was taken. And, you know, it says he was one of the favored ones of the land. There in verse 4, it says... He wanted the ones that were the cream of the crop, you might say, as far as youth go. No blemish, well-favored, skillful, had wisdom and had knowledge and understanding, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. And so Daniel was one of the favored ones of the land of Jerusalem, no doubt, that he was collected as part of this number. And, you know... um, So think for a moment about 600 miles on foot over mountains, through deserts, maybe through rivers, and when arriving in prison, being put into a strange place under guard. You know, we have stories about people that when, and we know personally people, that when a lot of things go against them, they just throw in the towel. They get bitter and say, if this is the way God is going to treat me, I don't want anything to do with him. And... So, you know, how about you as youth tonight? You know, how is your circumstances? Is there some tough situation in your life that is causing you to doubt whether you would like to continue serving God? I trust that you'll choose the good part as Daniel did. You know, sometimes things happen in life, accidents come along and someone passes or a friend rejects you or property gets damaged, or there can be a lot of things that can discourage people. And some get bitter and live a sinful part life apart from God. And others then, who get away from their church and home community, simply lose their principles by neglect. Um, So how do you conduct yourself when you're away from your family and friends? And so as we look at this story tonight, consider, put yourself in the shoes of Daniel. If you were forced from home and your church and your family and moved out of sight and out of communication and out of touch, would you be able to stand on the principles that were taught to you from the Bible? Are you the type that would never compromise because you love your God so much that you would be dedicated and committed to him regardless of where you're placed and how, who is around you? As we look at Daniel's story, we notice with admiration that that's the type of person that he was. And so we've looked at Daniel's tough situation, and now looking on from verse, beginning to read in verse 5, we notice that he was a man of resolve. And it says, the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, um, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. 
Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Would someone be able to bring me a cup of water, please? So thinking here about man of resolve, you know, he was a young man that had been taught some principles, and he stood on them. Um, you know, the really outstanding aspect of Daniel's situation is that his situation back at home wasn't all that good. The whole reason that Babylon came, was able to come in and take over Jerusalem in the first place is because that Judah wasn't doing good spiritually. And so, um, you know, they, had a, they were being judged for their sin and their disobedience to God. And, but Daniel must have had knowledge of God and of his will and way for him. And he says here that he resolved. You know, he had a love for his God. He had a relationship with him. And he says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself in that thing that was actually being, you might say, crammed down his throat. He, uh, he didn't want to defile himself. He didn't want to let his God down. Thank you. Uh, Daniel somehow got some training, and apparently he could handle a name change. But when it came to things that were against the Jewish dietary laws as were outlined in the Old Testament, which was his scriptures for his day, um, he couldn't go along with it. Um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had a brainwash program, you might say, but um, Daniel knew he had to give an account to his God, and he didn't want to go along like that with that. And so, do you all know tonight, in a fact, as a fact, that you need to give an account to God for your conduct? Are you ready to stand alone if need be? Otto Koning said that, uh, told the story in the pineapple story about how that um, the, the natives there were just kept stealing his pineapples and stealing his pineapples. And finally, he made some moves that um, brought some judgments upon those through relation to his God, and he, he um, actually felt like he turned the ownership of his pineapple patch over to God. And the, uh, the natives began to experience all kinds of problems. And so they came up and talked to him, had a meeting there, and said, something's wrong. What, what, what changed? And he said, I don't own the pineapples anymore. He said, who does? He says, you're God. And then they started thinking. And as they finally came to the point and said, does your God see in the dark? And he said, yes, he does. And then they really had a problem. Um, these people couldn't help themselves. When they got close to the pineapples, they just smelled them and they had to get them. And they said, how can we help ourselves? And he said, go down to the river the other way. Don't go past my pineapple patch. And so, yes, uh, does your God see in the dark? Do we act like it? Am I God conscious? Am I able to conduct myself when I'm alone as I would if I had the bishop sitting beside me? I mean, that's where it's at. Do we have a personal relationship with God that is a controlling factor in our life. How would you live if you had no standards? It says in Daniel 6 that Daniel had an excellent spirit. He viewed himself as a body that had a soul and a spirit inside of it. And he didn't live for himself. He was a man that the spirit was in control of and whom the spirit ruled and excelled. 
are you. We serve that same God. We notice here in verse 8 that he purposed, he resolved, he had conviction. You know, this type of purpose and resolve is basic for all, young or old alike, to avoid being defiled in the world that we live in. I read an article recently that stated that a vast majority of teens in American churches, and I assume they were in mostly Protestant churches where they took this poll, but said a vast majority don't think biblically. And they can't voice a biblical opinion on a variety of subjects that are taught about in the Bible, such as morality and how to handle money and abortion and the role of the civil government. And I would assume that most of our youth would have uh, knowledge about that. But as we think about it, do you think biblically? Do you think when you get into the crux of a situation and the warning bells go off in the back of your mind that this might not be right, can you pull together and articulate mentally a position that would help you out to avoid falling into that trap? That we need to be coming there. We need to come there. Think about the uh, angles of life and the decisions and the choices we make. Daniel knew. Could you have been standing in his position and would you have stood? You know, Daniel could have thought that no one would know. He was far from home, but God saw and he knew that. Are you God conscious? It says in Ecclesiastes 12, remember thy creator now in the days of thy youth. You know, to end up right, we need to start right. So remember your creator now. Manage your life around his revealed will. Uh, But we can't do this on our own. Daniel was a man of prayer. Remember the story later in life, of Daniel's life, whenever he was... um, in danger of being thrown into the lion's den, he went out and prayed, just like he had always been habitually doing. And he was a man of prayer. Daniel leaned on his God, and he stood. We can't fight our battles alone. Evil's too strong for us. We and God can become an invincible team if we are willing to join up with God. A man who has an excellent spirit who prays won't go to pieces when the chips are down, but they can glide through trouble like Daniel did. So knowledge and yieldedness to God's will is important. But as Daniel demonstrated, a willingness to act on it is an important part of the ingredient as well. And especially when we know that it's against all of the social norms. You know, uh, what do we do if we know that we'll stand out like a sore thumb? Um, Our children have a book at home that has a picture of this scene of these young Hebrew men down there in Babylon, and maybe they weren't all Hebrews, but it shows a picture of four young men at one table, and they had grapes and bananas and potatoes and some things like that. And there was another table over there with a a goodly number of young men on it, and on that one they had a roasted pig and wine goblets and some other things. But the thing that was really intriguing about that picture is that all the boys in that larger group were focused on the four that were over there in that table by themselves. And we know about that. We know what it's like 
to have the need to stand up against a group if we're going to stand on principles. And so can't you imagine the taunting that went on when these boys were left to themselves? You know, many years ago, there was a couple young men that took a uh, day off and went, took a motorboat and went to a lake that was several miles from home, a number of miles from home. And they had a really good time out on the lake that day. Um, had a picnic lunch along and swam some and ran out of gas and the one person got a mouthful of gas trying to siphon from one tank to the other and you know a lot of lot of fun things happen but as they were on their way home they stopped at an ice cream shop in a little rural country place and as they were in there buying their ice cream um, one of the young men selected a pack of cigars off of a stand there by the wall and placed them on the counter and paid for those with his ice cream. And after they got back in the vehicle, he pulled one out of the pack and lit it up and took a few puffs on it and passed it to the fellow beside him and said, you don't know what you're missing if you don't try it. Well, there was two young boys in that vehicle that had been taught to steer clear of the vices of tobacco and alcohol and some other things. If you don't ever start, you'll never have to quit. And as the story went, when it came to two, those two young men, they declined and didn't partake. And there was a sobering atmosphere that went into that vehicle at that point in time. But as you think about it, um, what will you do when you're standing alone and need to stand out like a sore thumb? Um, one man wrote that he saw a bumper sticker that read, when all else fails, lower your standards. And I'll have a little more to say of that later, but of course we don't agree with that. That's not what Daniel did, and that's not what these other young men did. Uh, and we see that happen sometimes. Uh, people say that veiling and um, clothes that cover are just simply cultural and drop them. And others, because of an unfulfilled feeling in their marriage relationships, will um, just seek divorce and find company with another. I personally, with another ordained brother, sat in a house in a living room with a fairly young woman who was getting ready to divorce her husband. And she said that, um, casually said that, well, um, God will forgive. And besides, there's other ministers that say it's okay. And so think about these things. What does the Bible say? That's the important thing. You know, there's others that can get taken in by a strange woman, and it talks about that in Proverbs 7. It says, she cast down many wounded, and many strong men have been slain by her. And others can get cap captivated and captured by the God of sports and get involved and caught up in those things. And still others are in bondage to electronic media and... There's other vices, many other vices of things that can entrap a person. And so what do we do when the opportunity presents itself and we know by God's word and our teaching that we'd probably be a lot better off not getting into that? It's important that we're able to do like Daniel did, not lower your standard when you're under pressure. Thinking about Daniel's situation a little further here, it was more than just the peer pressure of that group of larger group of young boys there. 
it was a dangerous situation in which they were going counter to a volatile dictator king's command. And so he was willing to do it. Here in verse 10, it says, after he put in his request that the prince of the eunuchs said, I fear my lord the king, for why should your faces, um, let me see, I fear your lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head. You know, sometimes it seems like we as Mennonite people that except for a few cultural practices that were about like most American Christians, but in many ways were far apart from them. As one writer put it, it's a biblical worldview as compared to a secular worldview. And so we have standards of right and wrong based on the Bible, and that's what we're committed to. And we want each person to take them personally into their own heart and mind and experience and with Holy Spirit power to implement them as Daniel did here in this situation. You know, as Daniel made this resolve, I think that he realized his whole future was hanging in the balance. Whether he was going to stick faithful to his God down in the land of Babylon was hanging in the balance right here. And of course, we can always at any point in time make a change and turn for the better. But if he would have started down the wrong path, it would have been much, much, much less likely that he would have ever got turned around because he didn't really have a support group. He had to do it alone. So thank God tonight, youth, for your support group and the tremendous blessing that it is to you. The ones around about you that are pulling for you and pushing you and nudging you. You know, it's not, it's not disgusting. It's a blessing. It's helpful and it's such a treat to have um, no fear of governmental in interference and a brotherhood of committed believers that is standing around you and helping you on these situations in life. So as we see Daniel had a resolve to act on his biblical knowledge. The next thing we would like to notice is that he was a man of insight. He had a biblical worldview, and he knew how the biblical principles applied to himself. In Daniel chapter 5, it said, someone observed about Daniel that he has the spirit of the holy gods. As we think about the spirit of the holy gods, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I would like to notice a couple verses there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know, there's two kinds of Christian life, and one is the type that lives on the lower plane that um, lives under restraint. You know, our carnal desires, are, we, if it wasn't for this rule, I'd probably do it. And that's the lower plane. The higher plane is a man of insight, that understands what God wants and what he's about and that knows the will of God and that is um, desirous to try to implement it in his life and try to work with others to do that. You know, they know what books are appropriate to be reading and what cars are ideal and appropriate to be driving and what clothes and what friends. You can have freedom with limitations. 
Let's flip now to Colossians chapter 1, and I would like to read a couple more verses there. Colossians chapter 1, beginning to read in verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. A couple things I would like to notice here is um, think about what he tells here about the mystery that was among the Gentiles. The mystery is Christ inside of you and the hope of glory. And we can have Christ operating inside of us. And as New Testament Christians that have invited the Holy Spirit into our lives and have experienced that, we have Christ inside of us. And, and that gives us a hope of glory. And then in verse 28, he talks about, um, of course, from the aspect of the Apostle Paul, and perhaps that's what I'm doing here this evening, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, but then apply that next phrase to yourself, that, that you could become perfect in Christ. And I'm here tonight delivering a message and you're hearing it, but tomorrow and the next day I won't be in your presence when, when the hour of temptation comes. And so you need to choose how you're going to respond and react in those times. And it says then in verse 29, um, I'm labor striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily. And you know, that's not only in me or the Apostle Paul or these other brethren, that's in every last one of us that has named the name of Christ. It's God's will that he can work within us mightily and bring about fruit and bring about a life that is biblically oriented and that is pleasing to him. Daniel was a man of power. And someone said that it takes more power to rule our spirit than what it takes to possess a city, a strong city. Do we have that divine power? Do we experience the Holy Spirit living within us and giving us an overpowering sense of being loved by Jesus? Such overpowering sense of being loved by Jesus that we are to be willing to put our shoulder to the wheel of his program and move forward with it. Do we have that power? Do we have the power to live and to walk as he would have us to? You know, there's a lot of things that need discerned in life, and it's important that we put that power to work within us. You know, the power of God is revealed in a person by the way they respond whenever others do them wrong. And it's the power of God is displayed in a person when they're close and they're Hair are not positioned to draw attention, but they're instead adorned with the hidden man of the heart, that, that of a meek and a quiet spirit. The power of God is displayed when we respect our parents as youth, youth, and they ask us to do certain things. 
uh, when we yield to those who are our leaders over us, when we obey the traffic laws, the power of God is displayed when we're in a courting situation and we're able to keep our hands off the young woman that we're relating to in that situation. The power of God is displayed in a lot of different ways. Um, it's important that we apply the power of God in our life. It takes the power of God to avoid movies, I believe. Um, you know, to go watch people that smoke and drink and act in immoral ways is defiling. And we can't watch those things and stay undefiled. So it's important that we implement the power of God in our life to bring about the, the power that, or the uh, holiness that God wants within us. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning to read in verse 10. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. A couple powerful verses here. That I might know him, that I might know Jesus. That, you know, earlier it talked about the power of Jesus working in me mightily. And... His power can come into our experience and into our minds and into our spirits, and we can be blessed. It says here that um, I haven't attained or I'm, am not already perfect, but I'm following. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm walking in lockstep with him. I've taken his yoke upon me, and it's an easy yoke, and that burden is light, and we can have the blessing of walking with Jesus as we go throughout this life says that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus has taken us into himself as one of his brethren. We'll one day be his bride, it says. And, you know, it's all about Jesus and God. That's what life's all about. And we need to deal with these temporal things because we're here and we have bodily needs and things like that. But it's important that we realize that Jesus and God is the crux of the matter of life. And it talks here about verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You know, in a short time, we're, we're all going to be off this earth. A hundred years from now, if any of us are left, it will be a very, very minute few. And where will we be then? And this is teaching us that we need to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and that we need to follow after Jesus, and as we do so, then that we will um, have the promise of the resurrection when Jesus comes back. Let's turn to John chapter 14. We'll notice another couple of verses here. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then also verse 21 he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So we have here this promise that, um, first of all, I say stated simply that if you love me, keep my commandments. 
And then reversing the thing a little bit. If you have my commandments, and I believe as Mennonite people, we, we have the commandments. We have, we have been presented with that biblical worldview that comes from the Bible. If you have those commandments and keep them, then you're the one that loves Jesus. Um, it says, if you keep them, he it is that loveth me. But go on and look at the promise that is, comes along with that. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You know, Jesus, Jesus manifested a universal love when he went to the cross, and it's extended to every last person. But here we get an extra, extra dose of it. It says, if you keep my commandments, you're the one that loves me, and if you love me and obey me, God will love you, I will love you, and I'll manifest myself to you. You see the, see the pattern? Uh, the person that opens himself up to God in obedience is the one that God reveals himself to and that God becomes real to. Jesus seemed far away. Obey. Obey what you know and pray and yield to God and God will reveal himself to you and he will become real and you can experience that blessed walk with Christ and the hope that comes with it. Let's look then at verse 23. And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, that, be, that yet being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So here we have, I've referred to the Holy Spirit tonight, but here we have the promise of the Holy Spirit that God will send in the name of Jesus, and as he's present within us, he will teach us all things and Bring them to our remembrance, whatever Jesus has said. And there again, repeat it again about the third time, verse 23. If you love me, you will keep my words. And then, um, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So the presence of Jesus is dependent on loving obedience. Loving obedience to the Savior, the one that first loved us, as I said, but has more love to pour and infuse into us as we obey and walk with him. Let's turn back to Daniel chapter 1. Moving on with the story here. Um, from 9 to 16, I would like to notice Daniel's tact. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzer, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then shall our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. 
At the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fair and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzer took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. You know, Daniel had purposed in his heart not to defile himself. But as we notice here, he didn't make demands. As he went about this, apparently he sat back and reasoned a little bit. How, how could I make this come to pass here, even though this man has said no? And, you know, in verse 10 there, we notice that his request was denied. And apparently he accepted the official's uh, response, but perhaps at a later time spoke to Melzer and proposed a test and asked him about, you know, could they try this test? And it says Melzer agreed to that. And, you know, tact is a great asset in the Christian life. Uh, firm resolve coupled with tact is a blessed approach to take. You know, if, if we take on the bulldozer tactics, it might be well-meaning, but oftentimes it ends in disaster. And so there's a trail of brokenness that's left behind. But we notice here this... Um, experience of Daniel, how that he, he exercised tact and to put into practice what he believed that God was asking him to do. You know, it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro in the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. And so the Lord is on your side if you're resolved to follow him in an humble and a godly way. Purpose in your heart to love and serve God, but determine to do it in a way that's not abrasive and ugly. And so as Daniel held his standard, he approached the situation gently and with tact. And with the help of God, he was able to avoid defilement. And this doesn't mean that he won everyone's approval. I talked a while ago about those other young boys, and that's not really Bible, but I'm certain it was probably part of the package. Um, but at least, even though there might have been those that mocked him, he was able to serve his God as he felt necessary. Going on then here in this chapter, we'd like to notice Daniel's reward. Beginning to read in verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first um, year of King Cyrus. As I thought about Daniel's reward here, you know, it says that at the end of the days, um, he... Um, Actually, that's back in verse 15 where it says, At the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fatter and fairer. And what else does it say there? Fatter and flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. And I believe this was the blessing of God. You know, if you ate nothing but vegetables for ten days, 
and some other boys ate other things, would there be a noticeable physical difference in your facial appearance? I can't hardly imagine. If anything, you might look a little uh, thinner, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, maybe those other boys' diet was so trashy that their appearance just deteriorated and they looked tough. But, you know, God rewarded these young men by making a noticeable difference in their facial appearances and just 10 days of diet difference. And it says in verse 17 there that God gave them knowledge and skill and Daniel had understanding in all wisdom or uh, visions and dreams. And verse 19, it says, there was none found like them as they stood before the king. And verse 20, um, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And you know, as I thought about that, like dropping back to the time when Moses was in the uh, land of Egypt, you know, those magicians had power. Uh, Moses, God had told Moses, drop your staff and it'll become a serpent. You know, the magicians did the same thing. You know, those magicians were not just anybody off the street. They had likely tapped into satanic power maybe that could do certain things also. But jumping back to the story here, it said that these men were found 10 times as wise as what those magicians and astrologers were in all his realm. And so God, I believe, blessed them with superior wisdom and understanding as a reward for their committedness to stick by his principles. And often in life, our circumstances aren't ideal in one form or another. But in this, we can identify with Daniel because his weren't either. But as we follow his example and humbly and tactfully seek to live in the knowledge that we have and purpose in our heart to follow the ways of God, we can realize the blessings of walking with God and him. As the writer wrote that said he saw the bumper sticker, when all else fails, lower your standards. Instead, when all else fails, keep heeding the directions. And that's where the blessing lies. You know, the Bible and godly friends can direct us through the maze of decisions that are facing us as people today. We can have confidence about tomorrow if we walk with God with the knowledge that we have today. We'll need each other to stay on the straight path. We need humility. We need the help of our church to help us. We need the help of our parents. They have our good in mind. And sometimes we think we have it all together, but we're but a small part of the equation. You know, in Psalm 32, it says, Be not like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth needs to be held with a bit and a bridle. You know, that sort of sums up the opposite of what I've been describing tonight here that we observe in this Bible character, Daniel. He had understanding. He had a spirit within him tapped into the Holy Spirit of God that enabled him to live a life that was a blessing to himself and to those around about him. The higher way is to have your will in tune with the ways of God and determine to live in harmony with those ways and strive to do it in a godly and a quiet manner. 
Daniel said, my God, whom I serve continually, is able to deliver me. Is, is your God of that capability? Are you a youth of conviction? Are you ruled by the Spirit of God? 